Hello and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Management Podcast for the 4th of October 2020. This is your host Nigel Creaser uh, and we've got a fantastic interview today with uh, Bruce Gay, the second part of it. I imagine you've all been dying to hear the second part and uh, just uh, on to the news. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, then please get in touch at sundaylunchpmpod at nigelcreaser.com. So, in the news, it's only been a week since the last one. Um, it's been a, a week of birthday celebrations because both my daughters have the birthday over this last week, so both weekends have been pretty full on. And uh, coming to the end of that, um, from a podcast point of view i now have another three interviews uh, lined up uh, over the next couple of weeks so they're all coming thick and fast that will put me in a position where we'll have the full roster for the whole year lined up um just have a couple of little highlights on those i've got um a gentleman next week called adrian i can't say adrian's name if i barely am go i'm gonna get it right when i speak to him on Tuesday. Uh, he's written a book called Teams That Swear, and it comes out next month, uh, this month, sorry. And um, I will just be uh, chatting to him about that. So that'll be out, um, I think, possibly towards the end of this month, maybe early part of next month. And uh, another couple of interviews on remote working and productivity, and, and another background interview. So, um, yeah, a whole bunch of stuff uh, in the pipeline. And Next month is a little bit of a trail for who's coming up next. I have got um, Ricardo Vargas, who I spoke to earlier in the year uh, about his Brightline stuff. And this time it will be about him and how his his story, I think I mentioned last week. And after that, I've got Craig McKay, who's the uh, uh, CEO of Shark Tower, doing some really innovative stuff with data and project success and uh yeah it's um looking good uh this year so we'll have them all bottomed out and that's been the most uh most things that going on um i think i mentioned a couple of years ago i was hoping to pull some of these interviews into a, a couple of years ago beginning of last year um into a um sort of book that would be summarising the interviews. Um, I did start on that last year, but uh, it is a, quite a big task, transcribing and then editing through the transcription to pull out uh, all of the items. So um, it may be uh, I, I can find some time to do it over the next few months uh, and try and get it ready for next year, but I think it's probably going to be quite difficult, so it will be more of a long-term project, that one. And uh, I will... Uh, let you know when it's going to be there. But it'd be really good, actually, if if any of you say, yes, that would be really interesting. I would like to keep a, a sort of little um, booklet of the nuggets of knowledge um, that you've got from uh, all of these podcasts, then um, let me know. Uh, I'm going to try and pull it together. Um, what else is there? Yeah, I suppose the other thing is that uh, I seem to have had uh, quite an uplift in the listenership uh, on the podcast in the last uh, week or two. Um, and I'm not sure if that's people coming out of lockdowns and 
starting to go back to a normal routine of work or maybe um, just so more awareness is gradually growing, which is fantastic and I'm really chuffed. But if there's any um, new listeners now, this is your first show or the second one, hopefully, because if you're listening to this one and haven't listened to the first one, you'll probably uh, be wondering a little bit more about Bruce. Um, then I do recommend going back and, and having a listen to some of the great guests that I've got on there. I have started um, posting the, the, um, uh, the reposting on social media, the podcasts from last year, um, just so uh, people can see those, because I think uh, joining halfway through this um, is great, and they're hopefully going to have some great guests, but the guests that have been on before, I think they've got some great knowledge, and if you're looking to increase your project management knowledge, I think it, the, the people that have been on um, uh, are, are fab. So that I think that is it really, um, and I'll I'll let you uh, find out what uh, what uh, the rest of Bruce's story is, and speak to you later. Cheers now. What and and what I'm going to say here, I, I resisted doing a lot of investigation into design thinking so that I mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. ask you questions as if the audience who if I'm assuming they don't know, it would ask the same questions. In truth, I'm lazy, but let's, let's run with my first one. What is design thinking? What is it? And, and how does it apply to, the, to us as project managers? No, no, excellent, excellent. So, okay, so um, design thinking is um, a term that was popularized by a design firm in, from California called IDEO. That's I-D-E-O. And basically, um, they were doing human-centered design, um, which is a field of design that basically puts the, the user or the customer or the human at the center of, of how you're trying to um, design and build something. And, you, you know, you may ask, well, wait a minute, aren't our customers always at the center of, of, of what we do? <laughs> and, and in fact... Um, there's a lot of stuff that's produced in the world that totally ignores um, the intended user. And, you know, th- this is an art, you know, art, art is produced at its own, you know, for its own and, and it's totally different, but, but, you know, there's products, there's services, there's things, but um, the, the, this field um, started to become more interdisciplinary. So it was less just siloed design. They started moving into looking at how do you, um, tackle larger problems, things outside of um, sort of product design. Um, and they popularized design thinking and they basically took the, um, the process that um, human-centered design had been using um, and put it a bit in a, in a way that was consumable by the business world. Um, so, you know, to others, it was a little magic in some ways. But basically what it boils down to is, and and this is how I explain it, and I come in and I look at this like, how can I better translate design thinking to project managers? Ultimately, this will help us and our teams become closer to our customers, be better aligned with our customers, and increase their satisfaction with what we're working on. So if you were to step back and look at what we have within the the PMBOK, this falls primarily under... um, the stakeholder engagement, under requirements engagement, and benefits realization. That's, those are the, the three main areas that it tackles. 
Um, and, and there's a, um, a multi-stage process that you go through. So um, there's different names for these stages, but it's basically understand the customer and the problem space is the first one. The second is to um, define that so that everyone on the team understands what that is. The third is to brainstorm um, solutions for that problem space. Um, the fourth is to prototype. So one of the big things about design thinking is, and we were talking about this, this is taking something out of your head, taking concepts and making them something real. Um, we were just talking about the Kanban board, perfect example. That is a Trello um, system that is up on the wall. And so actually Trello is the opposite. It was a system that, um, you know, it, it replicates what is done in the physical space. And then the last stage is to um, test out your, your prototypes or your concepts. And um, what this does is it, it allows teams to be closer to the needs and the um, wants of their intended customer base. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't know if you work in the IT area, yeah, I do, but primarily. often, you know, we've got IT shops who build something and they push it out and they think, oh, this is going to work out great. And meanwhile, you've got a line and operational staff that are like, wow, that, that didn't do what we wanted to do. And <laughs> it's difficult and you make us log into three different systems to get what we need and our jobs are worse. And so that, that, it, that is what I, uh, that is what design thinking is, is, is trying to eliminate or reduce um, through better understanding of the problem and of the customer needs. So yeah, that's a lot. Sense. I hope, I hope that makes some sense for you. Yeah, yeah, it does. Absolutely. And I think it is it, I, I, to be a bit flippant. I have, before now and using certain systems asked how drunk was the person when they signed this off because um, I just sit there as it trying to do something and I think what why would you even why would you even consider doing that I, yeah, I, no, I think if, mm-hmm. Odeon um, Odeon cinema ticket booking system is the one that oh. always has driven me mad but <laughs> We have, I think, the most uh, stellar case we have. So in the U.S., I, I work in, in the healthcare field. In the U.S., we have electronic medical records. So they're, they're, we've got uh, a duopoly or maybe a triopoly here in the U.S. And the companies that, that basically own the market on our electronic medical records, they have horribly built um, user interfaces. And it causes doctor burnout. It causes nurse wow. frustration. It causes... Um, all manner of stuff that, um, you know, we look back 20 years and things didn't, th- yes, we had paper records, but you didn't have these secondary psychological effects on the provider of healthcare <laughs> that we yeah. do now. So it's, and it's yeah. yeah, the last, the last thing you need is, it's, it's that whole thing, isn't it? If you've got a surgeon working on your brain, you don't want them worrying about the paperwork they've got to write up later when they're finished. Exactly. You want them worrying about, what they're doing to your brain i I remember remember there was a i don't know where i got it from but someone talking about the fact that around um, having highly paid surgeons and how why should the surgeon be highly paid and whilst it doesn't work out perfectly you kind of want you don't want him worrying about his bank while Mm -hmm. he's working on your brain either do you you want to be really comfortable happy now fair enough societal things mean that people uh, sort of like spend it expenditure expands to fill income doesn't it and, oh, and no. uh, so does debt 
but uh, yeah, it's kind of a, um, yeah, it, yeah it's, but it's I, that, I, that small attrition, isn't it? The little things that can wear, little irritations on something mm-hmm. you provide to a customer can wear them down and either send them, if they have to use the tool, it wears them out because that makes it hard job harder. If yeah. they don't have to use the tool, they don't use your tool. Yeah, and then it's, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, um, the program that I scrolled off, it was seven years long and I had um, usability designers on it. That was one of their key parts of their role, which was to understand the cognitive load of that user interface on the user and continually iterate on what's the best way to display that data to that um, individual while they're doing their work. And, um, and you're, you're right, you know, you, you know, you, I've seen them, you've seen them, there's systems out there that are just complete junk. Um, and it causes you that additional cognitive load to make your way through the, yeah. the process. And I, I think in some ways we've become, um, with some situations you, um, you learn that you adapt as a user. And the problem is, is, is uh, with IT is, is you'll put out a, a system and because the end goal might be what people want, they end up adapting to be able to use it. You start remembering it becomes all automated and you know how to get through it quickly, even though it's irritating. Yes. And then and from an IT point of view, you're looking at it going, well, everyone seems to be using it. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, the fact is, as you say, they've adapted and they've got that little bit of cognitive that is there, but it's when you've got lots and lots and lots and lots of that build up that become yeah. the problem. I've got, I use Amazon Alexis and, um, I've got one, I, I think they're great, good, really useful, really interesting. I've got one real big bugbear and maybe it's because I live in a, in a country that doesn't have, um, the most stable internet or maybe the internet stuff I've got. But anyway, um, my internet will drop out every so often. Uh-huh. And then my Alexa will go, Oh, you, you got no internet. I can't work. And it's like, right, great. And that's it. It doesn't retry. Oh. <laughs> and kind of, I just sit there going, <laughs> how difficult yeah. is it yeah, yeah, every, yeah. every half hour, every 15 minutes to pull yeah. that yeah. Wi-Fi connection and say, Oh, oh, it's back up now. So if I get a power cut, which do cut sometimes in other, or if our internet drops out, mm-hmm. that in the morning when I like in the mo- at the moment I couldn't, you know, the home automation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can use it to lock your door. You can do all that, and it's kind of like absolutely not because it's not reliable enough. It's not safe enough to do yeah, that. No, and and, and that, I that, don't that. <laughs> that's a good example of where um, the other thing that design thinking encourages is diversity in. Uh, you know, multidisciplinary yeah. diversity in products. And what you've, what you're experiencing is, okay, you have a product that works very well, but it probably was built by people from North America mm-hmm. where we don't have that type of that issue. And, and they're basically, they're cutting, they're cutting off markets such as Africa or um, Asia that may have these intermittent or use different telephone uh, systems. Yeah. And, and it, 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 in some ways they've, they've, um, reduced the the benefits of the product they've built um, by not understanding the different um, customers around the world. Yeah, exactly. Like what I would do is plug them all into automatic plugs so that they could switch themselves on and off and put a routine, but then they'd need to be connected in order for the routine to work. So I get in a recursive loop there, which doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> so Amazon, if you are listening, please change that. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, that, that's 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 amazing because um, yeah, your your solution seems logical. It, it yeah, it just seems to be one that like my mobile phone. I know if I don't get a Wi-Fi signal, if I walk into the room, walk out to the garage, say where I don't have a good signal, come back in, it picks it up straight away. And I just find it weird that that, that the devices don't do that. Or maybe I haven't set something up that I need to set up to get it to do it. But who knows? Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, let's get off my woes. <laughs> so that, so when you say about the design thinking and the PMs side mm. of it where you've got a um and i suppose we've always got a product um is it about and i just think sometimes you can be a number of steps removed from that end user which makes that um ability to get there real mm-hmm. um so whoever's sat there in where is it seattle doesn't know yeah. that i have this problem because yeah. there's quite a few ways removed how, how do you using these sort of things break that get that at, at the back end do the best you can do with yeah, yeah and so this is when, when i have workshops and training on this specifically for the project managers and program managers um i mean what i what i'm telling them is they have it within their control to set aside time and set aside budget we we know how to manage that sort of stuff and so you as a project manager need to fight for the ability for your team to have access to the end user. And yes, that may cost money and it may cost time. Um, in this program that I just finished, it, it, we had um, the radiology department as our, as our partners. And the, you know, there was a cost there. We, we hmm. would have to buy time from the doctors and that would be used for interviews and for understanding how they did their work and documenting their work. Um, and, and so my, my advice to the project managers in my sessions is you need to fight for that level of access to the, the users. Um, it's not always going to be easy. I mean, there's, there's political, but, but that, that is, that is you, um, as someone who can see things across the plan, uh, and, and, you know, you're going to end up delivering a better service product or application for your users by getting to know them better yeah um and so that's like one of the the main areas that i would i would suggest and we're to the space now where you can do usability testing it's it's virtual you know just like we work virtually so you can probably buy time from someone in in cape town south africa or in um in, in kenya or in nigeria um, to be able to understand what their needs are in a different um, environment that uses uh, small devices or um, no landlines, but all um, telephony and, and such. So, yeah, there's, and so that's one of the things that I try to impart on, on project managers is that these are, it's better to understand and to burn down these requirement risks earlier in your process because if you keep moving along as you know they get more and more expensive to fix as yeah. as the product is built out or the service is built out. and i suppose a lot of the at the um the embracing of, of agile techniques kind of goes some way towards that because as you say that mm-hmm. prototyping yes. effect getting mm-hmm. in front of your customer early yes. tweaking it and things it kind of all sits behind that to help you do that i suppose doesn't it Yes. No. And yeah, they're, they're very uh, complimentary. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So thinking about, you mentioned a couple of projects and things you've been involved in. 
what would you say is the largest and when i say largest i don't necessarily mean pounds or dollars i don't mean the biggest as in physical whatever it's the one that to you felt big like this is the this is my big piece of work and Mm -hmm. what did you learn from that project yeah yeah no 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 so um let's see about a decade ago um i worked for a defense contractor and we had a software system that the u.s army used for command and control so um as you can imagine coming out of um 9-11 and quote-unquote war on terror um we were pulled into that as well um those you know civilians that are here in pittsburgh from Carnegie Mellon University and just the rest of the world to support the army in in how they were planning out their maneuvers in various Middle Eastern uh, countries. So mm-hmm. it was very interesting having the military as our as our customer. And so that was uh, a team not only here but dispersed in other cities across the U.S. And we had to support um, live um, exercises or. Um, these were scenario driven exercises multiple times a year. And then uh, we actually had people who were deployed uh, into the, um, into the Middle East to support on the ground as well. So that was, that was a very, you know, and so in, in some ways the, the um, it was very nice because it was, you know, we were tied to a mission. We were tied to, uh, we understood who our customer was. We had frequent contact with military leadership, um, you know, who gave very frank um, uh, feedback. And, and so it was, it was, you know, that was, that was very useful. And that, that helped me um, grow. And that's sort of where I moved from a project into a program manager, mainly because our senior program manager, he was an excellent leader. Um, he was ex uh, former army and he was an excellent leader. And I studied how he did, and how he managed and how he communicated with people. And it was just, it was amazing. So uh, if I could only be, you know, one-tenth of his, of of his leadership ability, I would be, I'd be proud. Excellent. So, and I hope it's not the same one uh, for your sake really is what, with all the projects that you've been involved with, what's the Mm -hmm. biggest screw up that you've Ah, made? (laughs) And, no, this, and what did you learn from that? Because quite often that's the bigger learning place, isn't it? Yeah, no, no. And, and that is true. This, here's, here's, here's one where it was a huge crash and burn. Different organization. Um, I was uh, a program manager within a new, it was an insurance company. And we were doing a um, total architectural rewrite transformation of a customer service platform. So as you can imagine, insurance companies, they need to be able to uh, their members and their customers need to pick up the phone or uh, send emails to representatives and they need to be processed in a, in a timely manner. So they had a 18 year old um, system. There were still green screens. It was, it was amazing. It was just crazy. When you talk about, you mentioned earlier that people adapt. Um, the customer service reps had adapted to this clunker of a system, but we were going to come in and I was fairly new to the organization and um, unbeknownst to me, it was one that had a lot of kingdoms within it. So here I am, I'm a program manager, I'm used to being able to come in and execute. And instead, I would get knives thrown in my back all the time. And 
this this basically came to its head because I was, um, and you'd think I, I should have been closer to this, but I I had a budget overrun one year with a vendor of five million dollars, and that was no small amount, and it was definitely the largest budget overrun I'd ever had in my career. So it crushed me because it was it was like well first of all the I felt like I failed. And second of all, the vendor, they didn't care. They just kept billing us, uh, even though, you know, it was just, it was one of those things. And then, and in the end, you know, uh, I, I think I learned from that heavily because I learned where I needed to put in checkpoints. I learned where I need to leverage the finance organization. Um, somehow they wiggled off the hook on that one and I got the, the, the blame for it. But um, it, it, it allowed me to harden my skin as well. So when I left that insurance company to my current employer, it's been a joy because I, I learned a lot of, from that failure. I learned things that could be done better. Um, I learned that it's not the end of my career with those types of, um, uh, overruns. And, um, while sometimes it, it doesn't feel nice when a reputation is, move to the mud it, it you you can recover from that as well so it was it was a definite learning learning experience yeah and i think you 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 make when you get your eye off the ball on something and you kind of sit there going how the hell did i do it and you do beat yourself up yes and yes. then because you're sat there in hindsight going oh i should have done that mm-hmm. but then you you forget about those um decisions you the micro decisions you're making day on day um through that that project that at the time it's kind of like oh that's all right oh that'll be okay yeah because you've got 50 other things that you you know are screaming baby screaming at you and you can just let that one thing (laughs) once it starts going down that hill (laughs) it's kind of it's too late isn't it no no and that that it sounds like you've had you've been through that battlefield too then <laughs> it's yeah d- d- different different things yeah but yeah. yeah just those things where you're sitting there shit your hand and head in your hands thinking how did i get there how, how did i get here and <laughs> take a little while to go right how do i get out of here and how do we get ourselves back on track yeah. um so let's flip this on on his head now to something a little bit more um uplifting and positive well, it does sound like you came out of that with a lot more um, skills. What would you say is your proudest project delivery? So all the projects you've delivered, the one that made you think you walked out of there, you finished it, we've delivered it, all your go live, post go live stuff's gone and you've gone, yeah. oh yeah, that feels good. Yeah, no, no. We, um, so I had one where we were converting a hospital to a new um, clinical system and you know, not only were we working with the vendor, but we also had to um, do a whole um, site readiness, um, which is change management, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's one of the best ones. Um, and it, it, it felt good knowing that I had a set of users, um, physicians and um, technologists using the system that my team had helped um, integrate and configure for for that hospital. So that was that was definitely um, one of my proudest moments. Um, looking back, here's a funny thing, and I've had people tell me not to mention this, but in my career, I've had very few 
positive IT deployments. So when, when you sit out there and you look at the, um, the stats that show how many projects are failures, I shake my head and yep, those are mine. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah, I suppose the thing, and, and again, uh, the thing I always find with all of those large, uh, in what I would put in Joey air quotes failures is what, what is the failure? Uh, and, and you sit there and go, well, it didn't deliver what it was originally planned. But if it's a big project and it's two years later, what you were originally planning to deliver, you shouldn't deliver exactly. anyway because the world's changed. And absolutely, you may look at, right, you spent a lot of money. Okay, yeah. fine. So we shouldn't be doing that anyway. Yes, we spent money on it, but actually the world changes. And I, don't get me wrong. I do believe there are some that are absolute screw-ups. But again, it's kind of, it's not always, yeah. um, it isn't always level cannot always be landed with the project manager as the person who's um, caused the issue. Um, thinking now more about, not so much about the end result of a project, but that journey, the process, what mm -hmm. would you say was your um, sort of proudest achievement within that project frameworks of what you were doing, whether it was yeah, yeah. mentoring of a person or, or doing of something, but just not that, not necessarily, yes, big balloons. It might have been a quiet little thing in the background, but made you walk out of that office that day and go, yeah, I, I'm yeah. doing the right thing here. No, and, and um, so, I mean, mentoring uh, training is definitely a big area. The um, In the healthcare field in the United States, project management is, is sort of um, a forgotten discipline. So um, I, I spend time trying to help non-project managers understand some of the the tips and and the tricks and i and i try to keep away from the the complicated vocabulary because that doesn't help with the with you know getting what they need to do and so i that um we stood up a um a pmi community at our organization and um i was luckily able to have three other people pick it up after me and so they've they've picked it up and uh it's been a little bit of a pause on covid um pandemic period now, but they were um, taking what we were doing, which was how do we set up regular sessions to talk about project management, train others on best practices, um, do comparatives, say project to product management, um, or agile versus um, traditional project management. We, so it was, it was, it was um, was fascinating because there was definitely a market there. There was a need for people to, they wanted to learn how to get better at doing project management. So I think the fact that I put something in motion and had others pick it up and run with it, that, that made me feel very well. Cool. Mm -hmm. So now kind of, kind of moving on to maybe mm -hmm. some of your non, not, not your core um, stuff that you're doing in the project delivery and stuff It's I noticed that, as we said earlier, that you um, are, are a speaker. Mm -hmm. um, speak and a trainer uh, in, in training project management. So what made you want to go into those fields? Interesting. I, um, I'd been so afraid of public speaking for such a long time. And um, about three years ago, I decided to do a webinar for projectmanagement.com. So as you know, projectmanagement.com has a lot of those. Um, they're free webinars. And um, I did one on design thinking and project management. And um, 
the process of pulling the, the information together, designing the content and delivery, I really enjoyed. And, you know, it made me, it's that thing where if you have to teach something, you, you have to know it better than other people in the room. And so it helped me uh, get better at it. And so then I went from that, which was virtual, obviously, it was a it was virtual webinar. And I must have just thought, okay, let me try speaking at um, PMI. It was in um, Global, which was in Chicago. And my wife and daughter went up there with me and it was a blast. And so I really enjoyed the interactive um, networking, the um, catching up on best practices. Um, at the time, I didn't have that many professional colleagues within the, those conferences, but now, you know, when we're, whenever we start with our in, in-person conferences, you know, I have a network of friends from all over the world and you know, I love them dearly. And, 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 you know, Nigel, by God, whenever I meet you, you're going to get a hug too. So <laughs> I don't know when we'll ever get, you know, yeah. whenever this picks back up, but it'll, it'll happen. So, absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, um, getting up and speaking in front of people, um, the stress went away and, you know, yes, I still have a little bit of stress, but it, it wasn't as something I, I found out that I enjoyed talking to people about a topic and uh, topics that I was passionate about. And then, um, that moved into doing workshops with, um, PMI seminars world. And so I'm just, this is my first year doing that and it's been virtual. And so it stretched my, my, um, uh, you know, my, it stretched me a bit by having to take an in-person workshop and do it virtual, but it's worked out. And so, um, and yeah, I, I really enjoy, um, the, process of creating the process of researching creating and then delivery of 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 training content excellent excellent i know that uh, it's something i've uh, thought about myself and i've uh, i threw my hat in uh beginning of year end of last year can't remember mm. which it was uh with the um the ted the pmi ted mm. at mm-hmm. pmi and i and i kind of thought I've got an idea of something I've been playing with for some time. And um, I thought, why not? And uh, I thought, well, maybe not. Maybe I can't. Maybe I could. Maybe I couldn't. Maybe I can't. Maybe I could. Maybe I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I, mean? I was doing that. And then um, of the, I think it was finally decided to do it. And you had to do it. I, I hadn't really paid attention properly. I had to do a little video yeah, um, yeah. that you had to send in. And um, that got sent off two minutes before the deadline. <laughs> Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I kind of procrastinated, and then I'd, when I decided I was going to do it, um, it was like, ah, get it all done, and then something happened that sub- I need to do something, and it was just all, uh, yeah, bit of a, um, bit have of you, a have you last spoken minute. at these conferences before, or no, 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 I was just, you, um, you've got a perfect voice and demeanor. I, I, I think an audience would love you. So, I mean, obviously you have an audience already with your podcast, but a small one. <laughs> yeah. But I think just being you on stage, you know, that is, that's perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to give it a go. I've uh, mm-hmm. done a few things internally, but not externally, but let's say at some point when we, as you say, when we, um, uh, we were all unleashed back to be in the same room as each other, that yes. make life a bit different. Yes. So last few questions. Um, what was the last project book that you picked up and read? You don't have to tell me whether you finished it or not, but what was the oh, last yeah. one you read? The last one that I read. Oh my gosh. 
Um, that was a good one because I've been I, I've been reading some unusual stuff here and there. So there was like this isn't um, it's more like blue ocean strategy. That's more like business development than project mm -hmm. management. But um, that one was a good one. But then I've been reading, I've been trying to see there people who are publishing design thinking. I've been reading mm -hmm. a couple books, one for educators, um, one by a German project manager. So I'm trying to see how do they package up design thinking and communicate it to their audiences. So cool. Yeah. Um, and again, the next one is um, on pod podcasts, whether you are a consumer of podcasts, because not everyone is. Yeah. No. Um, what was the last project podcast that you'd listened to? I, I, I have not. No. In fact, just recently when I was trying to find out who, who's this Nigel guy, <laughs> I went and listened to yours and I thought, this is good. Um, no, I've, I've gotten into, um, into YouTube. So there's a couple of people across YouTube that have um, podcasts with them, but they they tend to be um, what do you call it? a bit of self help to um, entrepreneur um, level um, YouTube. Cool, yeah. cool. And of the, of these ones, these questions. What's your last project blog that you read? Are you a blog consumer? And if you did, what 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 do you read? Oh yeah, no, no. The, um, the consumer. Um, so I, I'm, I review a lot on LinkedIn. Hmm. I think the most recent one, and it wasn't a long blog, but it was a short one. Um, Chris, who's the president of the chapter uh, in the UK. Uh, Chris Field. Yes. He published that the chapter had finally um, landed and, and basically um, pushed out into production a, a uh, sort of a career matching tool yeah. for its members. And I thought that was perfect because we're having the same questions pop around here in our chapters. Um, we know that there's a subset, a large subset that have lost jobs through um, the COVID pandemic sort of retraction. And we're trying to figure out how to help them. And it's, it's, it's sort of difficult because it, getting and standing up a, a software system to do that matchmaking, it isn't simple. And so um, it, it's wonderful that, that Chris was able to get that for the, for the UK PMs. And, uh, yeah, um, uh, I was talking to Chris about that the other day and he was really excited about that, um, being able to do that. I know he's yeah. very passionate and he's been um, sharing lots of, um, I don't, obviously I spoke to Chris um, in <laughs> the last episode that went out was Chris. Um, mm -hmm. But um, yeah, he's uh, for some time now he's been pushing out where there's been jobs, um, project mm -hmm. management jobs with the, with the hashtag um, PM jobs, which I think again on LinkedIn is a, um, is a, a great idea from a point of view of PM jobs. If, if people are looking hook onto that um, yeah. hashtag and if you are either looking for a job or looking for a person, um, logging it in with hashtag PM jobs and uh, that'll help the whole industry really. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's, that's part of why we have these networks and these associations, mm. which is to help our, our fellow professionals. And um, I, I've been in that case through my career where I have been unemployed. So I know, I know what you have to do and what happens mentally when you're in that process yeah. of without work. And it's, it is, um, you know, 
lots of luck to to Chris and team because I think it's 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 awesome what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. So the last two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your top tip for members of our audience that are seasoned PMs? They've been in the trenches for many a year. They have um, all the uh, uh, they've they've used more features in Project Microsoft Project than you have. Um, <laughs> what was the one thing that you would say? Yeah, yeah. Consider this. Consider this. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, I was, I'm, I'm somewhat of a luddite, but um, you you uh, you have to uh, the our coworkers who are coming up who are just out of college or maybe five ten years out of college. They've got a different pattern of using technology and tools, and um, the way we do work is changing. So, um, try to learn from your younger staff. Um, how do they use Slack? How do they use TikTok? How do they use whatever the next new thing is for collaboration and, and communication? Um, I, I have it to do that. I wanted to get deeper into um, Mural and Miro. These are sort of online collaborative whiteboard tools uh, for teams and. You know, I never get around to, to, to working with them, but, but it's learn these new tools that are, that are being used by distributed teams and by the younger staff on our teams. Well, great tip. Really good tip. I've uh, yeah, battled with trying to get, um, get myself and others using some of the, the things like Microsoft Teams. We've had the capability of Microsoft Teams over and above the file storage and the SharePoint. And I started to get very frustrated with it at one time, but I've, I've kind of kind of got over it a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Part of the way I was doing that was someone asked if they wanted a, some, they needed some help with doing some um, community training. Um, event thing and one mm-hmm. of the things they needed help with was how to use Microsoft Teams more effectively and I'm like I probably learn a little bit like you said the research stuff <laughs> it was kind of like I learned a lot while learning to teach people about what to do and it was kind of like uh, again standing there sitting there thinking I'm a bit of a fraud here I've only just started to work out how to do this but yeah and it's like you say that it, with those sort of things it's um, those different ways of communicating because I, I don't know I know it's not just me is that they're just in a personal life. I've got a multitude of little social media updates. I need to be checking of different groups that I'm friends with, whether it's on WhatsApp, Facebook, yep. Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Instagram, and all you've got all those. And that's just me personal uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. or stuff to do with this um, podcast. But then in the office as well, it's becoming, we've got Skype on there. We've got teams on there. Some people don't use like using Skype for IM or they don't mm-hmm. like sharing on I on Skype, but they prefer to share on teams, but they like, uh, oh, wow. and then you've got Yammer and Slack and all these different, Oh yeah, yeah. everything's <laughs> popping up. I started using something on teams not long ago where you were using, um, uh, where we've got a, a document stored in teams and then you do your review comments to the document stored in teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that automatic, because it's stored in teams, it automatically sent a message to the person who owned the document Mm-hmm. that I'd commented on the document yeah, yeah, and then they commented on the document and sent me an email telling me that they'd commented on the document. Yeah. I was yeah. sitting there going, Whoa, I can't decide whether I like this or not. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> and, 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 you know, you take teams and then I, uh, my, my business unit uses a whole suite of Atlassian tools. Mm-hmm. That's Confluence, yeah. Jira, et cetera. And, and it's very similar. You get alerts every time something is updated and, 
there's reasons yeah. for those alerts, but then then you have to set up your 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 filters to keep your cognitive yeah. load. Um, oh yeah, yeah. For many years now, I've been using Outlook as a the Outlook rules um, mm. to filter out what's CC'd, what's an update on this, what's yeah. that, and yeah, kind of yeah. It's quite, yeah, but you've got to invest the time to do that. And sometimes as PMs, I think a lot, even simply as Outlook, you say they're using those tools that the capability of Outlook um, far outstrips the usage of by most of us. Mm-hmm. No, certainly, certainly. So um, the final question, I'll let you get on with your day after this one. Um, let's cast the mind back to the early part of the interview when you were... Um, let's say you were opening that office in, in Kiev. It's, it was, it was mm-hmm. Kiev, you said. So whenever you say Kiev and something like that, with that kind of thing, I, I immediately start thinking of mission impossible, but um, <laughs> it's just where I go. Um, and, and, and imagine uh, <laughs> you doing that. Um, but if we, if I said to you, what would you say to Bruce when mm-hmm. someone says, right, we've got to open this new office. Yeah, I know. I, I think that uh, there's two main things I'd say. One is um, everything happens at its own pace. I, I, I think as young professionals, we're very eager to get things done, especially those of us that are project managers. We like we like seeing things uh, built, getting becoming complete. And so I think not to force something. You know, everything has its own its own timing and pace. So that's one. The second is. Um, I wish earlier in my career I'd spent more time on building relationships. And I think as I become a program manager, that is, that is more on my mind than anything else is um, who, who do I need to build relationships? Who do I need to nurture? Who do I pass information to? Who do I consume information from? Um, And, and I think earlier in my career, I was very much focused on the, um, getting the task done and, and um, not necessarily building those relationships. So I think, you know, for young project managers, spend that time, have those coffees, have that virtual zoom meeting with, with somebody uh, get to understand people better because that, that is what business is all about. Brilliant. Yep. Couldn't agree more. So thank you very much again, Bruce, for your time. Um, it's been a, uh, an interesting and illuminating conversation. And uh, all I've got to say really is have a wonderful rest of the day. No, thank you. Thank you for having me on, Nigel. Thanks very much. So I hope you enjoyed that with Bruce. Um, I know I did. So, uh, yeah, thank you to Bruce for, for being on the show. All it leaves me to say is thank you to you for listening. Uh, If you are interested in supporting the show, please get in touch. We do have sponsorship opportunities. Um, If you are um, want to just support it, uh, please, first thing, share it. Share it with your friends and colleagues. Um, Put it out there and and let them hear more. Uh, If you're inclined to throw some cash at it, uh, one of the books that... uh, I produced um, you pop along to the website nigelcreasy.com you can slash shop I think it is you can find it there um, or if you uh, want to there's a Patreon page and you can pop some cash that way 
Um, and the other way to support is kind of just give us a review on wherever it is. As I think I mentioned last week, we launched on Amazon. So we've got Amazon, we've got Apple, we've got all of those different platforms. Uh, just give us a, a, a review and that would, uh, again, help other people find us. Um, but more importantly, um, come back next time. Have a listen to my next guests. Uh, the next one will either be Adrian or Ricardo. So, um, brilliant. Uh, that's, have a lovely day. Thanks for your time. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye.